Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Pascal Engerman. He is the best-selling Swedish novelist of his generation. He's been called the next Stieg Larsson. And his books are now being released in the UK after being published all around the world. We talk about the pressure that his writing year puts on him. Also, how often things change from the original blueprint that he sets out. And how he deals with time away from the writing. How good is he at switching off and being with the family? When I wrote my three first books, I was totally absorbed by them. I couldn't think about anything else while I was writing them or before I was writing them. And yeah, as you said, the, for, for the whole days when I was writing them. But And I asked an older colleague of mine, Yong Yu, a very famous Swedish writer about this. And he said that, you're gonna learn how to to distract yourself from from I don't know from storytelling because yeah when I was watching a film I couldn't I couldn't enjoy the film I was just thinking about the, the storyline or the plot or the characters or how did they do this and the same when I was uh, reading a book but now it comes pretty natural uh, for me just working those four or five hours writing and then I don't think about the novel. Uh, at all until next morning and there is more with Pascal Engman in this week's writer's routine yes welcome along it's writer's routine where we take a look through an author's working day very simply to see how they plan their day their life their space to get down that idea and hopefully get it published my name's Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for being there. Thank you for listening, for following, for sharing, downloading, however you found us. I really appreciate your company today. We are with Pascal Engman. I'm very excited for you to hear this week's chat. He is the, the best-selling Swedish novelist of his generation, as I say, being compared to Stieg Larsson. He's written six novels and used to work as a, as a journalist. And the the stories that he covered there have given him ideas and inroads into a certain type of crime they've all been sold around the world and now some are coming out in the uk his book femicide has just been released it's the first of the vanessa frank books it's all about the world of incels have you heard of these people Uh, they are involuntary celibates who spend their time online mostly 
hating on women, really. But Pascal's book looks at what happens when they go one stage further, when they stop hating on women simply online and start in real life too. We talk about his writing life. It's rather brilliantly and bafflingly split up between Sweden and Chile, of all places, on the edge of the Atacama Desert down there. We, we chat about how he divides that time and how much pressure that split puts on his ability to get ideas. We talk about why he tries to make the first draft as perfect as possible because he simply hates editing. And you can hear why he loves infotainment. I know, I'm like you. Not a massive fan of that word either. But Pascal is all for it, and he's our guest, so I am with him this week. Uh, There's some brilliant font chat in this too, and you can also hear about the original blueprint for the novel and how it changes along the way. So let's jump into it, as we always do, with Pascal Engman talking about what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. Right now I'm in Stockholm in my office here, but every December until March I I travel to South America, to Chile. Because uh, my father is from Chile, so I have a house there in the southern part of the Atacama Desert, and that's where I write like the 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 text from the synopsis. I I, I create here in in Stockholm in my office where I'm right now, as I said. And this office isn't any spectacular. It's I don't know about. It's a small room uh, with um, with uh, with a small window looking out on a I don't know on a another house. Uh, can I ask? I I've never been to Sweden and I've never been to Chile. They seem and, and you know your family are from kind of both places, so it might be a touch easier for you. But is that is that like a quite? quite a big culture change to spend three months of your year I mean, escaping quite a cold Swedish winter, I would imagine, to go to the desert in Chile. Uh, how different are the two places, do you find? Yeah, that's the main reason, escaping the Swedish winter. But um, actually, the Chileans call themselves the, the Englishmen of South America. <laughs> I don't know why, but they, they, they really like you Englishmen. And they seem, they seem pretty... Um, proud of of thinking that they are the Englishmen of South America. So the, it isn't a big cultural change, uh, at least for me. Chile is pretty European um, for for being a South American country. But as you said, the the climate is totally different. So it's where I live in, in, in outside Bayanar in the Atacama Desert. It's about 30 degrees every day, um, almost the whole year. So I think that the, the main reason for me to escape is, is escaping the, is leaving the Swedish winter behind. So take me to where you write in Chile then, where you are creative. Uh, what's the room where you write in? What does it look out over what posters what pictures what color are the walls talk me through that pascal well uh it's a it's a pretty big colonial style house um actually when my family bought it it was a ruin from the 19th century Uh, and it's looking over this beautiful mountain Uh, yeah first it's like a big 
alley of olive trees. And then there, it, it comes, no, and then I see what is, yeah, a small river. And then behind the river, there are like gray or beige mo- mountains uh, rising. So it's a pretty beautiful place uh, where I get, I, I've been, I don't know if I'm addicted to, to, to travel there for my riding, but it feels like that way. Uh, I'm longing for it now when we have this rainy day in, in Stockholm. What is there around you that's, um, that helps you be productive? Are there plot points on the walls? Do you use uh, a whiteboard or post-it notes? No, I, I work, I, before I traveled to Chile about for between, I don't know, June until November, I have this research phase when I do my research. And at the same time, I create this synopsis of the story like a blueprint of the of the whole book I'm going to write, uh, as I use like several four or five six sometimes storylines, I have to to yeah make this blueprint in order to to be able to follow them through through the whole process. So I have everything on a on a word document. I write about I don't know three or five sentences of every chapter uh, from start to finish. Um, before I even start writing the book. So, yes, because I need to have my my blueprint of the story in order to get it right. So I don't use any, like, I think it's called mood boards and and whiteboards and and everything like that. I just use my my, uh, Word document. How much pressure do you feel, then, if you know that, you're going to go to Chile to write a novel for three months of the year. I imagine that you're under contract, so you've got publishers who are expecting this novel from you. How much pressure do you feel that you need to get everything right so you can travel there and then uh, crack out the book in three months? (laughs) Well, now when I have all these readers also expecting me to crack out this book, (laughs) I feel... (laughs) I feel a little bit more pressure, but at the same time, I can't complain. You know, this is what I've been dreaming for my since since I was a boy to do. So I just enjoy every single second, and I always I used to when, when I was younger. I always hated going up in the morning because I I didn't yeah I, I've always been tired in the mornings. But now since I became a writer, I I love the mornings, and when I go to bed at night, I. I, I long for, for the morning so that I can go up and do what I love the most. And it's such a, it's such a freedom to, to, and, and the privilege to, to have a job that you, that you love, that you, <laughs> that you can't imagine what life would be without it. So I don't feel pressure. I, I, I just enjoy it. Like it's, it may sound like a cliche or something, but I, I really enjoy every second of this process uh, except for the editing phase when I'm when I've finished the book and have to go through it like 50 times but except from that I, I love every second I, and that's that's my honest answer well you, you've started to talk about your morning and how you're excited to get up to do your work so talk me through your day then Pascal the show is writer's routine uh, run me through a day when you're in Chile writing your book 
take you through the whole thing. When you wake up, when you go to bed, leave no stone unturned. How does it look? <laughs> yeah, perfect. Well, I get up about seven o'clock and then I put on some coffee and make me this sandwich, which I always eat, eat in Chile. <laughs> it's with, it's a, well, a regular toast with, with cheese and ham. And then I take, uh, take my breakfast and go into the, to the desk from where I write with this view of, over the, of the Olive Valley. And then I read some papers while eating my breakfast. I read Dagens Nyheter, which is a Swedish, uh, newspaper. And then I read two tabloids. And then I, I finish my breakfast about uh, around eight o'clock and then I start writing and I write about, I don't know, five pages every day, between five and 10 pages. And I write until, well, one o'clock when I'm in Chile. Um, and then I have lunch with Linnea, my, my fiance. And then about three o'clock, at least before we, we had uh, Benjamin, our son, we, we go to the city and we, we go to the gym or we, we take a walk or something. Um, and then I go to bed around, I don't know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock when I'm in Chile. And then I repeat it. But and this, I do this even when I'm in Sweden, um, not writing, because I try to write every day, at least something. Because the main reason is because I, I, I love writing and, and, and love putting my thoughts down on, on a piece of paper. But it's also uh, like a way of keeping my writing skills uh, on when I'm not writing a book. What type of things do you... Sorry, Pascal, what type of things are you writing every day? If you're, if those three months in the winter are your novel time, what else are you writing just to keep the muscles going? Well, I, I, tra- I train on being creative. I, I write like ideas for different stories, for TV series. I create characters. I, I used to have a blog in, on Swedish, on Sweden's uh, biggest tabloid, uh, Aftonbladet. Um, I do, I, I just write. And yeah, but, but mostly these days it's about, I write like, yeah, future stories or synopsis or TV series ideas because uh, it amuses me and, and it's a way of, I don't know, keeping my creativity alive. I'm I'm fascinated by so you're a full time writer now, right? You were you did you were a, a, a journalist and uh, but now writing is is what being a novelist that's what you do all year. Yeah, exactly. So in say the middle of summer, uh, what's your life like then? And how again I'll come back to that word pressure uh, when you're not you know in the throes of of writing your novel. Uh, how do you feel in, say, the middle of June when you're just uh, kind of working on your blueprint? How strict are you with timings then and how thoroughly do you make yourself work knowing that, well, it's it's another five months before I actually need to properly get down to it? Well, very... Well, I, maybe that's weird because that's when I feel the pressure because I, I know that the writing process, when I'm chill writing, isn't the... the the problem, the problem is 
coming up with all these ideas and and this story. So you're right. Maybe I feel a lot more pressure during the summer when I don't have this synopsis ready. I I usually well, what did I do this summer? This spring, after going to Chile, I came back to Sweden and I was here for I don't know a month or two, and then we traveled to Spain to the Canary Islands to Fuerteventura. Um, for two reasons, to, to finish the editing of, of uh, my latest novel and to start writing the synopsis of the new one. So, well, I write every day, uh, except for my girlfriend's uh, birth- birthday and for Christmas. And I don't know if I feel pressure, but I, I feel a, bit, a little bit stressed during the summer because, you know, you, you, I don't have this... I don't have every every stage of my of my story finished and there's a lot of loose ends in it and that that makes me i don't know uncomfortable uh, or as you said i feel some some pressure yeah I, I really do when you are writing your novel and you're getting your you say five or so pages down in the in the kind of morning to early afternoon how perfect does that first draft need to be? Are you just getting down any words just to make sure you're you, you, you're writing or are you trying to make each word the best one that it can be to make your editing job a little easier? I try to make it as perfect as possible because, as I said, I hate editing it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that it, when I when I send the, the script to my editor, it's... The, the job is 95% done. So I, I don't edit that much. It's practically, uh, uh, it's practically what you say, like <laughs> ready for, for, for the bookstore actually. Um, and that, that I'm able to do that because of my, my very thorough, uh, synopsis, uh, job before, because I don't leave any loose ends except for my latest novel, which will be published here in Sweden in next, next week, uh, where I re, rewrote the, the end, the last 100 pages or so for, I don't remember, I think it was three or four or five times, which was, <laughs> which was pretty irritating. But I did it because I couldn't, <laughs> I knew I could do I could create a better end. What was it about the endings that you had written a few times previously that just weren't working? Well, I have, as I, I told you, I have like three, four or five storylines. And I think in my first two novels, I weren't able to really, really connect them. Because I think that you get around 20% better as a writer for every book you write, at least your, I don't know, 10 first years. And with this new novel, X, uh, it's called, um, I felt that I had had more skills than I ever d- did before. And that I was just being lazy, just not to, I don't know, use those skills um, to, to, to my full extent. So... And I need, really needed them to, to, to connect these, these threads in a more, I don't know, in a more intelligent way. 
so I used, I don't know, one or two months just to, to create that perfect ending, which I hopefully <laughs> uh, think that, that I succeeded with. Well, let's just very quickly talk about that moment then. Uh, you, you know, you, although the, that, that book is not the one we're here to probably discuss because it might not be published in the UK for a little while. When you had finally written that ending, what was it about it that made you feel after so many attempts that it's clicked and this is the right one? Hmm, good question. <laughs> um, no, it's a really good question, but I think that my answer would, would be that interesting because when you're in that process, when you've rewritten yeah, 100 pages three times or four times, you're like in a fever, you know, you, you can't even see the, this, you don't even know what the book is about anymore. <laughs> but I think that I, I was able to connect one storyline from, from a previous book into this new book with a very, very popular character dying, actually, um, which, which elevated the text and the, the whole storyline, not in just this book, but also in, in, in the previous, no, in, in the long run for this series. So, I don't know, I just felt, wow, I finally did it. Um, and it was, I don't know if I was, I just know I felt a lot of relief, uh, actually. Because the thing is that when you start writing, when I, start, when I wrote my debut novel or, or the second one, you have all this time because <laughs> no one cares about what you're writing. But now my, my novels are published in 20 countries or something. So I also have to do a lot of, you know, PR work and, and everything surrounding being an being a author. And I love that. I, I love my job and it's a necessary part of it. But I can't ignore the fact that, that it, takes, it also takes time from, from my writing. Uh, so I think that was, I just felt relieved actually. And I think my girlfriend was even more relieved than I was because she, <laughs> I think she was going to leave me if I, I didn't stop writing on that damn book. When I wrote my three first books, I was totally absorbed by them. You, I couldn't think about anything else while I was writing it, them or before I was writing them. And yeah, as you said, the, for, for the whole days when I was writing them, but and I asked an older colleague of mine, uh, Yong Yu, a very famous Swiss writer, about this. And he said that you're going to learn how to, to distract yourself from, from, I don't know, from storytelling. Because, yeah, when I was watching a film, I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy the film. I was just thinking about the, the storyline or the plot or the characters or how did they do this. And the same when I was uh, reading a book. But now it comes pretty natural for me, just working those four or five hours writing, and then I don't think about the novel uh, at all until next morning. And the first time I realized this, I think it was with 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 uh, Femicide, the book I'm, I'm publishing now in, in England. Uh, and I was pretty worried about it because I thought that being a writer demands that you, you think about the story the whole time. And I, I, I remember thinking that, 
oh, maybe I'm, I'm not into this job that much anymore. But, well, uh, Femicide got, <laughs> was even more well-received than my previous two books, and, and it was, and it's, it's a better book. So I think it just, it's just experience knowing that you have to rest from, from, from storytelling and from, from your novel um, in order to be, a, uh, I don't know, a, a father and a, and a husband. Um, and, in, and, and being a better writer as well, because you can't be, you can't obsess with, with your book all the time. But I realized why, why you do it, why you write your, your first or your second novel. But then I think it, it drops off. Talking about being a father, well, a father and a, a, a husband soon. How how do your family feel? Do you think about this uh, this schedule that you've got going on, where you um, take them all the way to Chile to have three months in on the outside of a of a desert? <laughs> well, I I think Linnea, my my fiance, loves it. I know she, that she does. Because she tells me so, um, but now that we have Benjamin, who's one and a half years old now, we know that we we won't be doing this forever. That we have to find a home, and we don't know if it's going to be Sweden or, or Chile. Or we've always we've even been talking about England because we're we're both really into England. Um, but you have to look up, look out. No, you have to be like careful, not being, not let this life take over. You know the person you want to be, or or the the man you have to be. It's I think it's pretty easy to become pretty self centered being a writer because everyone is so kind to you. Everyone tells you how interesting your life and your books are. That that you, I think that that it's it's sort of easy to to lose the grip of. of real life uh, actually and uh, i don't want that to happen to me so uh, yeah it's something i'm i'm aware of and that i'm cautious of uh, every day when you're finding it hard when the words aren't coming out um some people call it writer's block is there anything that you do to help unclog it maybe a another cup of coffee or a walk around the desert or a certain piece of music at a certain time what do you do yeah a lot of walks around the desert actually um yeah just walking with we have uh, several dogs there where, uh, that we rescue from the streets like every year and then they come to live with us uh so yeah walk around the desert with with the with the dogs um but i it's pretty I, I never get these i've read about them i've talked about them with other writers these writing blocks but but the 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 best thing about having this like very detailed synopsis is that you when you write you when you, then when you start to write you always know what you're going to write about you always know what you're the chapter is going to be about. So I never get these blocks except for when I, I've cheated a, a, a little bit and left something 
opened, which I did with with uh, with the finish of the, my last novel, which I was talking about, and that's maybe why I had this this pretty big block with the with the ending. Now we get quite nerdy, I would say, on the show. Uh, uh, we're very keen to talk about uh, not just where you write, but also what you're writing on. So, what are you writing on? What software do you use? And most importantly, Pascal, what font, what typeface are you using? <laughs> yeah, you are pretty nerdy. Uh, well, I write on a MacBook Pro, uh, which I bought, I think, two years ago. And now it's, it's uh, I think it's, uh, it's having it lost uh, the last months of its life, um, actually, because it's being pretty slow these days. And I use Microsoft Word uh, to write. Um, and the font that I'm using is Baskerville. Uh, I used to write with uh, Arial, I think it was called, but a colleague of mine, Alex Schulman, which is also published in, in England, I think, uh, <laughs> laughed when he saw that. And then he introduced me to Baskerville. And yeah, I love Baskerville. <laughs> what, why, um, well, I guess... Why did your colleague laugh, and why why is Bask- Baskerville much superior? Because uh, Baskerville, it seems like it feels like being like this nineteenth century writer. Because uh, uh, the font is so beautiful, and Arial is so I don't know, it's so basic. And I've never given it, given it a thought when when he he said this, but I don't know. Since then, I, I just use Baskerville. It's I think my eye, no, but you know, something interesting that when I've read my, when I'm finishing my book, when I've read the book like two or three times, you start knowing every word in it. So then I change back to, to Ariel actually, in order to get like a new sense of the text. Uh, I've never thought about that until now, but I do that in, yeah, in order to, to like update the text uh, in some way, but I always start writing in Baskerville and then. As the process go on, goes on, and I'm I'm editing it, I change to Arial, and then back to Baskerville. Then when I send it to my editors, that's um, it's not the first time I've heard something like that. A, a few authors will will edit in a different font because it it kind of makes the words feel fresh and gives them a new perspective. So you're not alone there, Pascal. I think. Oh, great to hear. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, interesting because I've never talked to anyone about it. Not even Linnea, my girlfriend. So. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm not alone in this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with more from Pascal in just a sec. Uh, Just popping up as normal to say if you're enjoying the show, uh, I'd love you to, to support us. I'd love for you to support the show on Patreon. It doesn't require a lot, believe me, and I know times are incredibly tight and everything is going up, but this stays the same, (laughs) and hopefully the quality of this show stays the same too. Uh, Whatever you can spare, I assure you, goes an extraordinarily long way. It just helps us tick over. It helps us keep bringing you these chats with the best authors around as often as possible, And I am trying to do it as often as possible. We're more or less every week now, and we'll see what can happen with that in the new year. If you'd like to see this carry on, if you've learned any tips along the way that it's just maybe tweaked, maybe helped the way that you plan your day, if you've enjoyed these writing tips, then do support us. For that, you get merch. There is bonus content. There is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. If you've written something, if you'd like to get it out there, if you'd like to give it the praise and the plugging that it deserves, and I'm sure that it does... You can make that happen by helping us out, become a backer and support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Okay, let's pick things up then with Pascal Engman talking about his novel Femicide, which has just been published in the UK. We talk about how much his fini- we talk about how much his finished copy changes from the original plans. Also, how much he thinks about the international audience and how that affects the jokes that he might be writing in Swedish, knowing they might not land as well in another language. Uh, That's really interesting. And we get back into it talking through the original idea for Femicide and where that came from. I think there were three reasons why I wrote Femicide. First, the Me Too movement. Because as a man, I was shocked by all these stories of men mistreating women. Uh, and I knew it was bad, but I could never have dreamt of, of, of the extent of it. So it was, I think I started to write Femicide the spring of 2018, and the Me Too movement was the autumn of 2017. So I had the Me Too, Me Too movement fresh. Uh, and secondly, I remember that at this time in Sweden, we had a lo- loud debate of music festivals, because women were being sexually abused and, and groped on music festivals. And someone came up with the idea of a women-only music festival, which led to, yeah, this, this anger among some men uh, and this nationwide debate, which I, I followed. But the third and I think most important reason was that I, in the spring of 2018, was finishing my previous novel, Land of Fire. And I saw this article about a terror attack, a man in a white van van that had hit and killed, I think, 10 people in Toronto. And this was the first time I heard about the word insult. So I started Googling it and entered a couple of insult forums. And one of the first comments I read was about this uh, terror attack Uh, and there was a man writing 
I will never forget this, but he, he wrote, I'll drink a celebratorial beer for every victim that turns out to be a woman between 18 and 35. So I started entering these forums every day, uh, like d- diving into this very dark and toxic world of, of misogyny. And uh, yeah, those were the three like reasons why I, why I, on this, uh, yeah, and and as I said, this was 2018 in the in the spring, and no one in Sweden, I think, had ever heard about the Insom movement. So I also, as a journalist, thought that I could enlighten my readers because I I love the term infotainment. Um, you know why why I want my readers to 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 learn something while being entertained because that's the kind of books I enjoy reading. Um, so I, I, I understood that I could make, a, I could create an interesting story, but also a pretty, yeah, enlightening story um, and informative to, to my readership. So what happens next then? I mean, it's quite open-ended, but uh, if, you, if you know you've got this idea and you won't be writing it properly for another five or six months, what's the process of making that blueprint where do you start because you'll need to know pretty much everything that happens beginning middle and end and you're writing a you're writing a couple of lines about each chapter what are you doing to get to know this story before you start uh, that that first sentence of chapter one in the blueprint well i create the characters and uh, femicide is the, the second novel about vanessa frank my my protagonist so i already had her um her character and Nicolas Paredes, which was a, which is a, another big character in this series. But I also like to have like, I don't know how to describe them, but a kind of character that I refer to as, I don't know, the heart of the story. Um, that is someone who is like a, a good person facing evil um that I know that my readers and I will like, and I almost always take these characters from from real life. Um, and this time, I don't know if you have, you've read the book, but um, when I was a reporter, I had a, a lot of freedom. Um, and one summer, I spent about two weeks hanging out with a group of homeless alcoholics. Um, it started when I heard that this group always sat drinking on the bench uh, on the platform of the Farsta uh, subway station. And this platform is elevated about, I don't know, 10 meters. So the bench has a nice view. Well, <laughs> it, it has a view. Uh, Farsta isn't the most beautiful place. It's a suburb here in Sweden, in Stockholm, sorry. But um, what I liked was that these guys called the bench Sky Bar. Uh, so as I said, I, I went there and I met all these mainly men and just sat there talking to them and listening to their stories. And one man told me how he had met this homeless woman and he had this beautiful stories of them always laughing despite sleeping outside, uh, despite freezing, despite, um, everything that happened to them, they were always telling each other jokes. So I asked him, where is she? And she, and he 
told me that she she was dead, that she committed suicide, and he ha- that he never had visited her her grave, but that he always <laughs> he know he knew where she was bar- buried, but he couldn't he couldn't force himself to to get there. So, but he always checked the the weather updates for if it was raining on her grave that day. And I thought that was such a beautiful story that I decided to create this this character out of their these two characters out of their story. So that's the first thing I do. I create this the heart of the of the story in in one character. And then I I just sit uh, with word open and I write I don't know scenes. Um as I said, five, four or five sentences of every chapter uh, in every storyline in order to, to, to create this, the story. Does that make things a bit tricky? Because you're, you're only knowing your characters through five lines of a chapter before moving on. And in those five lines you're not really giving them a chance to i guess grow and and develop along the way how hard does that make it when you come back to write the full thing and you find that maybe what you had thought they would do is completely different to what vanessa frank wants to do when you've written thousands of words well i think that while writing these five four or five sentences i think that I have this mental press process at the same time where I start when I, I don't know, process the character's evolution, I think it's called, through the story or journey through the story. So I bear that in my head. Um, I don't know how to explain it, but I just get this sense of the, of the character um, pretty immediately. Um, when I've decided uh, which character to use. So um, it comes pretty naturally, actually. I just need this guideline in order to remember what what I was thinking while writing these four or five sentences. And then when, I, when I'm sitting in Chile writing the, the story, I, I, it just comes back to me. How often does, does it change when you are writing in Chile a few months after maybe getting a scene down in your blueprint. How often do the characters want to pull you in a different direction? Well, it, it happens about, yeah, it happens a lot. But I also know that if I change one tiny thing in this blueprint, the risk is that the, the whole house that is my story um, falls down or isn't logical anymore. So if I want to make a change, I really consider it a lot before because there are so many aspects and perspectives that if I if I change the situation or the uh, the the a scene for one character, I have to change a lot of scenes for the other characters um, later in the story. So I improvise a bit, but not not that much because I I know that the risk is that I that I that I get me into a lot of trouble later on. You said that you found it really hard to edit. Uh, w- what's the toughest part of that side of storytelling? 
Well, you have my books are so long. I have about four, five, or six hundred pages sometimes, and you have to control, control, and know every aspect, every sentence in this novel. It's it's such a mass of of text that I sometimes can feel a bit dizzy when I'm editing. That you know, I have to know every yeah every aspect every every word in this story in order to 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 finish this book and, and to make it a good book because uh, I can't have any logical I know uh, failings or or you know yeah yeah the the the, mo- the the part that frightens me the most is that that some readers kind of say that oh he did this here but this person was dead or you know yeah logical I don't know do you have any word for it that I can use logical yeah I know I, yeah I know I know what you mean uh, yeah no I th- I, th- I think I, yeah but help me out with the word because <laughs> no I can't the word's not coming to me either so don't worry about it it's not a language barrier it's just I can't. I can't, I can't place it. But no, I, I understand what you mean. Um, listen, you. this is your first book being published in, in English and you've sold many books in many languages across the world and you have mentioned the pressure that you sometimes find knowing that you've got quite a big audience of readers that want another Pascal Engman story. Um, now you are published in the UK and, and Scandi Noir, Uh is is quite a popular genre how much do you think you you think about that when you are writing are you when you are just telling a story how much thought do you give to an international audience that you've got now um more and more i think some some jokes that i want my characters to say i i just understand that anyone that that no one outside Sweden will, or Scandinavia maybe, will understand them. So, and uh, so I think it's the humor that that I feel a little bit. Um, I don't know. Uh, help me with the words here. I feel a little bit uh, that my hands are tied. If you can. Use that expression for this. So yeah, I I get that. If the hands are tied and if the jokes maybe aren't translating, are you then writing a different joke for a UK audience? What are you doing? No, I, I just skip the joke, uh, <laughs> or where I find another joke that isn't built on I don't know the Swedish language. And but also I think that I the problem as. For example, femicide is published in in the UK now. I think that well, I wrote this wrote it. Donald Trump was the president of, of the United States, and I had some reference to him in the book. I, I always feel I'm a bit scared always that the time the time will 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 make that my well, for example, an Englishman is reading it will feel a bit dated. Uh, now I'm writing X, my latest novel in Sweden is about takes place partially in, in during the World Cup in, in Qatar, and 
if it's, it will be published in England, it will be in, I don't know, four, three or four years. And maybe that will be a problem because it won't be that fresh uh, when you guys read it uh, as it is now when, when the Swedes and the, the Scandinavian audience is reading it. So um, I, tr- I think that I'm trying to limit the, the you know, the action, the, the news, news cycle uh, in the novels as well. And that is it for Pascal Engman. Thank you so much to Pascal for coming on the show. He is the best-selling Swedish novelist of his generation. And uh, yeah, I uh, really appreciate his time. The new book Femicide is out in the UK uh, and it's been published uh, kind of all around the world in bits and pieces and dribs and drabs really so uh, I would I would say if you like the sound of it find a local bookshop and ask them about Pascal Engerman's work. Now next week we are chatting to the winner of the 2021 Nobel Prize for Literature Abdul Razak Gurna. He'll be talking through his new novel Afterlives with us and he's won a Nobel Prize. So there's a lot to get into next week on the show. In the meantime, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Follow us on Twitter at writerspod there. If you listen through Apple, please leave us a review. You can get in contact at writersroutine.com and I will see you next week with Abdul Razak Gurna. Until then, bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.